This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Todd Berry Podcast with Judd Apatow on the show today, live from his apartment. I got to go to his apartment. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but you probably knew I wouldn't do that. That'd be weird if I told you where it was. But I will tell you, oh shit, I will tell you about upcoming tour dates I have. December 10th, West Nyack, New York, Levity Live, the 11th in Buffalo. January 22nd, I'll be in Albany, New York. The 28th, I'll be in Baltimore. And the 29th and 30th, I'll be in Washington, D.C., I have other dates coming up. Also, this is a huge announcement, which I made on the last episode. Todd Berry Podcast T-shirts. Uh-huh. Go to feralaudio.com. I believe there's a link there where you can buy one. Feralaudio.com. Go to my website, toddberry.com, and uh, follow me on Twitter, at toddberry. And, uh, you know, support Feral Audio Podcasts. There's a bunch of them. I need to catch up and listen to some of them myself. But uh, I'm busy. I don't even listen to my own podcast. I know, right? Anyway, here's Judd Apatow. Nice apartment, Judd. It is a nice apartment. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm proud of this apartment. I kind of wanted to sneak a tour of it, but I didn't want to be... You can can sleep over. (laughs) You can stay over and get the full experience. My family's not here, and I'm lonely. How many uh, how many bedrooms you got in this place? Uh, you know, we got three bedrooms. You know, we got two kids, and uh, it's the best thing that I've ever done. My I wanted my daughter to go to NYU, and then I thought, oh, let's get an apartment in New York, then we can be around my daughter uh-huh. if she goes to NYU. We don't know where she's going yet, but it's. Uh, it was an excuse to get an apartment in New York. <laughs> That's true. Even if she goes to you know Maine, you still you still have this killer apartment in New and York. And I'm closer to her wherever it is. <laughs> I'm closer. <laughs> do you uh, are you going to help her with her uh, exam? What do you call it? The admissions, the application. Well, all that is done. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of tears involved. There's a lot of uh, pressure. The kids are under a lot of pressure to get into school. When I uh, applied to school, first of all, my parents didn't even know where I was applying to. Right. There was a complete lack of interest and involvement. And I went in my room uh, and filled out all my applications. No one looked. No one proofread. Nobody said, hey, let me see if that's okay. Zero. I went to USC. I had never visited. I didn't know anyone visited a school before going. I just showed up. Oh, I guess this is what it looks like. Yeah, I uh, I don't even know how kids apply now. Like, I, I know they don't fill it out by hand like I did and <laughs> exactly. wait for a thick envelope or a thin envelope. There's no handwriting involved. See, that must help the colleges. If you have some demented handwriting, you know you may not get in. That's true. You could hide behind your computer typeface. I used to pay people in college to type my stuff for me. Like, there was, I was <laughs> like a little pre-computer. Remember when there was those typewriters? And they had a, some computer aspect, but all it could do is it could remember, like, five lines. I had one of those. I had, it was a word processor. Yeah, I had one of those. And I remember it was one of those things where it was like, you have sometimes you want to give something like goodwill. And it's like, I don't even think they're going to want this. Exactly. I mean, this was well into the computer agents. Like, I'm going to just kind of hand this off to them. And they're just kind of, I'll just put this in the back. No, it's something you want. And uh, But what is she going to study? Do you know? Uh, well, I think uh, she likes the arts. So probably some writing, some acting, some film and theater. You know, young Maud is uh, very talented, and you know she was in Funny People and Knocked Up, and This Is Forty, and she was on Girls last season for a few episodes. And 
yeah, she's. I'm excited to see what she does. She makes she makes me laugh. It's scary though. Kids going to school. It's weird because when you first have kids, people say, "Oh, you you get a blink," and then they go. They're in college, right? And then it happens, and it's just it's strange. It's like a person. She turns 18 soon. I lose all control over her. You know, <laughs> she's gonna be in the house for half a year in high school, but being legal so she can tell me to f off. That's true because she's she's got legal powers at this point. Yeah, it's just if she's nice to you, it's just a courtesy. It's a, it's all about <laughs> will I uh, allow her to uh, have free room and board? There's no legal control. It's uh, it's uh, only about <laughs> you know having to have a place to sleep. Do you um? So you're in New York to do the show with Pete Holmes. Am I allowed to talk about that? Yeah, I'm directing a pilot for, for Pete Holmes that Pete Holmes wrote for HBO. And uh, we start shooting it on Monday. Does it have a title yet? It's called Crashing. Okay. And uh, it's uh, you know about Pete's uh, early life and the comedy scene. So we're shooting in comedy clubs and... It's uh, it's gonna be fun. And you got Artie Lang in there. Artie Lang is gonna be uh, you know, the main guest star on the pilot, and and he's amazing. He's, yeah, he is. He's really a great actor, and and as fast and funny on his feet as anybody I've ever seen. Yeah. So it's exciting to to get to work with him. And you're um, did you help? Did you co-write this, or did Pete write it? Also? No, Pete wrote it, and uh, he's a great writer. You know, sometimes you hire people to write things. And you just struggle and slog through the mud. And then other people, uh, you know, like Amy Schumer, they freaking bang it out. And it's pretty hilarious right from the get-go. You have things to change and discuss and debate, but all the pages are always interesting and funny. And, and, and Pete's a very good writer. Is it going to be an hour, a half hour? Uh, half hour. Nice. So uh, we'll see how we do. So when you write, when you work on that with him, do you just kind of go, hey, you might want to do this? Or do you go... You're gonna, I mean, do you, I know you're the boss, yeah. but I mean, how much are you? Do you let them just kind of do what they want to well, do? I'm trying to figure out what he's trying to say. Right. So we, we talk a lot about, you know, you know, why, why are we doing this? <laughs> what, what's the theme of this? Uh -huh. what, what, what are you trying to express? And so I get to ask a lot of hard questions and I, you know, I kick it around and pitch ideas. Uh, but, you know, it really is about, you know, trying to get a vision out of him. You know, what, you know, what is the, why is this important to him? And if you just keep asking questions and keep kicking it around, then it usually boils down into something interesting. But you want it to be really personal, and you you want people to think very deeply and to think about every character in you know the most dimensions possible. You know, it's very easy to kind of write things fast and go try to shoot them, and you realize, oh, I never even thought about that character's history, right? Why they're like that, and so it takes a long time. To, to really look at every angle of a situation. Do you write out like biographies of the, uh, the characters or? Uh, not formally, but yeah. we'll just talk about it a lot. And it is as simple as, you know, well, why do these people like each other? Why do they not like each other? You know, why would, uh, you know, these people help each other out? And that's, I mean, that's the fun part about it. I, I, you know, I used to work uh, at The Critic, which was this cartoon that's right. John Lovitz and, uh -huh. Uh, Mike Reese and Al Jean created it, and James Brooks was the producer. So I just got to sit and watch how he would question things and try to go deeper. And Gary Shanley always talked about going deeper. And so that's really all I'm I'm doing is trying to get to the truth. And then it gets really funny. I mean, the more truth is in it, usually the funnier it gets. Yeah. Do you um do you ever think you go too deep? Like, do you ever overthink things? Or I think so. I, I um, it's, you know, when you think a lot about it. Everything is so complex that almost any story uh, could be so many different things. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's that's also the hard part about it is you only have so much time. That's why all my movies are a little longer because I feel like I can't really tell you enough about these people in a 90-minute format. And people like it in, in TV shows. They'll watch – you know. 60 hours of a show over a couple of days. I know. It's... And then in a movie theater, if, if it's like two hours and four minutes and not an hour and 48 minutes, everyone has a heart attack. Right, it's because they're not at home when they can't check their messages. They and... can't take a piss. Everyone wants to take a piss. This is what I've learned. Uh, if I could solve that problem in the movie theaters, I would have no issues. 
Do you go to, do you go out to movies a lot or do you watch I, I, screenings? Both, I, yeah, both. And I, I I hate it though now going to the movies. I, I really don't like it. Everyone's phone is lighting up. Yeah, and there's a lot of people yapping and and. I'm a little too tuned into the noises and the chewing and the exact, I'm ex- exact same way. Like, I, I mean, if it's empty in a, in a theater, I love it. I, I have I don't really enjoy the packed theater anymore. I'm the same way. I feel like the the Tuesday like 2 p.m. showing is the best time to see a movie. It's like yes, because it just eliminates so many people. Yeah, I've never liked the whole like shared experience of seeing a movie. I mean, I guess if I knew everyone was going to behave themselves, yeah, and maybe no one was going to eat their popcorn loud. I don't even like when people make noises because they're enjoying it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a bunch of yappy kids are just laughing and having the best time. Like even that distracts <laughs> me. I want to like disappear into my own thing. Yeah, I don't like. I don't even like when people talk during the previews or even yeah. even the commercials before the previews or the trivia questions before yeah, the previews. Yeah, I just feel like you walk in, you shut up. <laughs> exactly. But that's why. I'm... Although I went with my daughter to see a movie, I think we went to see uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. My daughter had three or four friends with her, and they were like yelling and laughing and giving each other a hard time and making jokes about how people looked and just. And I went. Are you guys the obnoxious people in the theater? I'm not going to sit next to you if, like, you're the nightmare people. <laughs> yeah, I, I had had some people recently who I kind of got shushed at one of my shows, and I was talking to them, and I go, well, you know, you don't talk at movies. And they're like, yeah, we do. And I was like, okay. Well, like, <laughs> exactly. I guess I, I see what I'm up against now. But yeah, uh, old comeback doesn't work anymore. Yeah, the whole, like, the whole texting thing. Does it bother you when you're on stage, when you're doing stand-up, or...? Yeah, you see people like scratching their nose with their phone while they're trying to take a picture, but then you don't know if it's video. I don't care. You can take pictures of me all yeah. day long, but if you're taking video, I know I'm just one sentence away from a career-ending moment. Uh, I could say anything, and it, it scares me. I'll lock up on stage when I see someone sneaking a photo because I think it's video. Uh not that most people care to videotape me because they don't care at all. The truth is no one really cares, but it just takes one, you know, comedy nerd to upload something and it's just over. Yeah, it's weird. They um, sometimes they'll show up like with. I had a guy once with like he had a tripod. It's like are you fucking. <laughs> it's like you like like did I did I hire you? I don't. Really, it's like what do you? How, it was just stunning. Yeah, there's a lot of people taking photos, uh, without you knowing. Yeah, that's a, like another weird thing that people deal with that are public. Like it would take a picture of you without asking. Like, uh, like, like you're like an animal in the zoo. I had a lunch with John Malkovich once, and he was talking about how many people take his picture at a restaurant when he's eating and how bizarre it is. And that's definitely troubling. Yeah, I think it's, I think, because I've seen things like, you know, Keanu Reeves on the subway, and you're like, yeah. Why don't you just tell people you saw Keanu Reeves yeah. on the subway? What do you mean? <laughs> Someone took a picture of Schumer about. doing that. She was on the subway, and she was wearing like a clear plastic raincoat. And uh, looking like someone had been running through the rain, and someone took a picture just sitting on the subway, just sitting there, just you know, spacing out, and then they posted on Twitter. Yeah, it's uh, a... yeah. There's one of the one of the kids um, on that TV show, The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, um, the Sprouse twins. Uh, maybe it was Dylan. I'm not sure which one. Uh, he has a funny thing where he puts photos on the internet of people taking pictures of him. So he catches them. He takes a picture of people oh, taking turns pictures the tables. of him. And then he writes an essay below it, like, yes, I caught you. Uh, you thought I didn't see you, but I did. <laughs> and they're hilarious. That's, that's funny. Yeah, I, I sometimes, I've seen people like at the cellar and there's someone sitting there and you, and they'll go, hey, no picture. And you're like, I don't even know if that person was taking a picture. <laughs> you must walk around a little bit paranoid, like someone's texting near you, like, are they sneaking a picture? Are they... Yeah, well, it's always like high texting. When people text at eye level right. and it's in front of their face, it's usually a, a, a good sign. But I do that sometimes. I'll be in a situation where, oh, I want to snap a picture of this, not a celebrity, just anything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sneak one. I remember years ago, I remember Shanling did this. He was at a party and De Niro was there and he asked someone to take a picture of De Niro and he w- just walked in the deep background like 10 feet behind De Niro and it was hysterical. It was a really funny picture of uh, Gary really far away from De Niro. <laughs> so everyone thinks it's funny. Uh, it's just everyone on earth has a camera now. 
Yeah, it's not. I uh, I actually I did a benefit the other night, and De Niro was in the audience, and I yeah, uh, I did not. Uh, <laughs> did I you didn't... lock up? What's that? Did you lock up? Did you get scared? I I didn't realize till because Amy Schumer was on it also, and she pointed him out. I saw this guy sitting in the audience who had like a cap on and glasses. Yeah. I go, he feels like an important guy, yeah. but it didn't even occur to me that it was him. And then she pointed him out while she was on stage. What did she say? She's like, oh my god, all my hair is here. Robert De Niro. I was like, oh, I didn't know Robert De Niro was kind of glad to the I did. Comedy Cellar. That's what I heard. I was on at the Comedy Cellar, and they said, oh, De Niro's here. So he he after seeing you, his gas tank was not filled he did not get enough comedy he felt the need to go directly to the comedy cellar and watch another hour and a half of it's comedy. like the, yeah it's like someone who's the first time they've seen comedy like oh i want to see more of this now well i guess de niro loves to giggle uh yeah i didn't notice him uh he was kind of the audience member i thought he would be if i yeah. you know what i mean he, he wasn't like slapping his knees a yeah. lot but does he shake does he nod i assume he nods a lot i think he he was pretty stoic during my set but i you know <laughs> that's I have the worst audience face. Like yeah. I feel bad for anyone who knows me, who sees me, and because yeah. I just never look like I'm having a good time. But. I feel that way. I feel like my resting face is awful. And what would happen when we, Amy and I, when we were promoting Trainwreck, a lot of the interviews we would do together. Uh huh. And when I listen, I get a look like I hate being there, but I'm not thinking that. I'm actually having a very good time, right. but my resting face looks like I'm angry. And then Amy would turn to me and just go, what is going on over there? And my wife, Leslie, she always used to say that to me, like, I don't like doing these things with you because every time I look at you, you look at, you have a crazy look on your face. And so I told Amy, I'm going to do a little half Buddha smile. So I would do like this little like tiny smile. And she's like, that's much better. That's much better. You just got to give them a little something. You got to give them a little something. You creep people out. So you're uh, you're doing Carnegie Hall tomorrow. It's tomorrow night. Holy shit. Tomorrow night I'm at Carnegie Hall. Holy shit. It's the, the overreach tour. <laughs> <laughs> Have you you've seen shows at Carnegie Hall? I've like. seen one show. I think it was 12th grade. Donovan and Loudon Wainwright opened up. Oh, Donovan was the headliner. Yes. 1985, 84. Wow. It's been a long time. I hear it's a good comedy room. It is. Yeah, I've done it a couple of times with, uh, I opened for Sarah Silverman there and Ricky Gervais. What, what advice can you give me? Well, here's as, a, as an old, <laughs> I'm sounding like a mid-sock yo-yo ma going to give you advice on yeah. how to play Carnegie. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I felt like once I was up there, I, I kind of go, oh, this is kind of just, it's just doing a show. I mean, yeah. when you're actually starting to talk. Mm -hmm. But when you look out like sound check, it's just like, oh my, it's terrifying. Because it's gorgeous. It's just like it's it's it lives up to the hype. It's just like oh, yeah. this is this is world class. Yeah, and the acoustics are supposed acoustics to be are nuts. Yeah, because when I I did a sound check and there was a guy went to the top level of the balcony and then said speak, like he was all the way in the back on the last yeah. and I said hello and he's like okay like he had to sign off and they from know the what absolute last. Yeah, there it's a tight shit. It's, it's also, not like going to a college sound check. Right, right, <laughs> right. Where the audience is coming in and they're sound checking and they don't even know who you are. Yeah. Well, I went to see Bruce Springsteen once, and where I was seated, you could barely hear the band. You could only hear the bass, like the bass player. Right. I don't know why, but it was just. There are rooms like that, yeah. I think. Where yeah, it all got screwed up. So I'm very uh, excited, but I'm nervous. I don't know what to. What to say, I don't know how loose to be because I could just kind of jump around or I could kind of know uh, where I'm going, and I don't know. Have you, sure You've done some do. headlining sets in the past. Yeah. In your comeback. When did you, when was the comeback? Like two years ago? Or yeah. The stand-up uh, comeback. When I started doing uh, Trainwreck, yeah. uh, you know, we came to New York to do Trainwreck, and, and mainly to amuse Amy and her sister Kim, I said, I'm going to go up at the cellar just to show you what it was like when I used uh -huh. to do stand-up. But not thinking I would do it beyond that. And I just had a good time, and I thought, oh, this would be fun. But then the, the people at the Comedy Cellar were so nice and said, oh, you can you can come in every night and go up. And no one had ever been nice to me in comedy before. <laughs> like when I used to do comedy, it was very hard to get sets. It was very competitive. And you know, this is when I was 20 years old. And I, it was so hard to get in at the improv. And I used to MC five nights a week mm -hmm. at the improv in LA in the late 80s. And the fact that they were warm to me uh, 
I was like, oh, I waited my whole life for someone to say you can go up every night without a big fight where I don't have to be terrified to, you know. And I and I, I probably wasn't even that good, so it was it was nice of them to to do. And I worked very hard to be good enough to deserve to be up there. So every night I, I at the cellar when I first started, I thought all I want is for when I go go on that stage that it doesn't feel like the show has dramatically changed right. and, and become you a lull. To, right, they're like, hey, why is this guy up here? <laughs> and, and then slowly, you, you you know, when you're there a lot, you're on after you, you're on after Hannibal and Louie, and it's real work for the show not to feel like it just dropped. And so it, it was really fun for me as uh, someone who's been doing comedy, uh, mainly in movies and TV for a long time, to have a goal yeah. to work my ass off to get better at something. And then you, you have you done, uh, I know you did like the Irvine improv, you headlined that. Did yeah. You, have you done a bunch of stuff like that? Too? Yeah, I, I do Largo every other week and uh -huh. I do these Judd Apatow and Friends shows. How long do you do on those? Um, I usually, you know, some of them I do like a headlining set and some of them I split it up into like several 20 minute hunks, but they're music and comedy shows. So, you know, we, we had, uh, you know, like Fiona Apple is on, you know, and Louie uh, or, you know, Sandler was on and Beck was there and we do them all for charity. Oh, nice. And uh, and it's great because it's for charity. You can ask anyone to do right, it. Right. And everyone it's it's pretty easy to get people when it's a charity gig. Yeah. Because everyone so, feels so guilty about exactly. their great lives. that they yeah, are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then for me, it's like, oh, this was always the dream just to have fun. And it's nice to do comedy with no uh, profit motive, mm -hmm. because when you make a movie, you're you're scared shitless the whole time yeah. because it's you know tens of millions of dollars at stake and uh, you find out in the blink of an eye if you've just lost a mega corporation an enormous amount of money and it's it, it's stressful but a, a comedy show is just fun and because I don't have to do it to pay my rent it really is purely an enjoyable experience for me so did you you must have a head, the headlining set that you've been doing on the road Yes. Isn't that what you would just end up doing at Carnegie yeah, Hall? Or? But like everything else with me, I'm a hoarder, so I wrote too many jokes and uh -huh. too many bits, and and I have to decide what not to do. And as most people know, I tend to then go a little too long because, you know, I'm not the guy who'll go a little short because I want to pack a wallop and leave him wanting more. Yeah. I'm very happy to overstay my welcome in any situation. <laughs> I'm happy to be the last person to leave a party. I, uh, I'll i make a movie at any length, a TV show at any length. Um and so, like, if the crowd looks tired and exhausted, like, that was enough, I'm out of gas. Right. I like that. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want them to be, like, going nuts at the end. Like, I, if I feel like, oh, yeah, we're spent. Let's go home. <laughs> Even a Q&A, like, sometimes they ask me to do these interviews, and there'll be a crowd there. And they'll say, okay, we'll do it for 45 minutes. And I always say, well, where do we have to go? And I'll take it way longer. And when a few people start leaving, I'm like, I think we're done. I can tell you guys are out of gas. And I don't mind people ending exhausted. At those Q&As, you get some pretty, uh, I've seen, you know, screening. You get people who sort of ask self-serving questions. Who like, yes, yes, about their screenplays. About their, yes. yeah. <laughs> How do I get an agent? Uh, that's always a good, that's always a, a bad sign when people ask that. Right. Because it means they're not really worried about their script. It, it, they're just... You always get an agent if the script is good. Yeah, it's the same with stand-up because, yeah. you know, you'll meet someone who's got eight minutes. Like, I need a manager. It's like, yeah. <laughs> no, I think you can manage your own eight minutes of material. <laughs> it must be easier to get work now because, you know, when I was doing stand-up many years ago, you know, you'd have your VHS tape uh -huh. that you would, like, put in bubble wrap and send to someone. I mean, just the fact that you could put your set on YouTube and – and forward it to somebody in a link. I mean, it used to. I remember like having to make dupes of VHS tapes and sending them to the Funny Bone or to John Fox, and I would get rejected always. If they tapes. watch them, you know exactly. <laughs> Sometimes you go in the comedy club office and you, the guy will be like, "Look at that! He's got a stack like eight hundred of them. Haven't watched one of them." It's like that's great that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. But, is there a, how many comedians do you think there are in the country right now? I've thought about that before. It's got to be what do you think two thousand maybe? Wow, it's got to. That's a complete wild guess. And do you think there's more good comedians now due to the numbers, or it's always the same amount of great comedians? Like even if it was a hundred thousand, there's twenty five that are amazing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like 
yeah, I can't imagine like the percentage would be higher just yeah. for, uh, there's no reason why it would be. It's not like, oh, suddenly people figured out how to do comedy. Yeah. But there are, yeah, there are people who, They'll be like, "Here's a new boom. It's comedy's gotten really good now." It's like I think there's always been good and bad. Yeah, but when you're on the road and there's a lot of locals and uh-huh. people opening for you, do you find that they're better or are they're pretty good? Or once you get out into the country, the, the level well, I mean, drops. I I think there's uh, yeah, sometimes they're you know you get someone who's good enough, like you yeah. need someone local, and yeah. this this person's solid and they're not mm-hmm. stupid. Uh, then you see people who are occasionally who are like, oh, this person is really good. Yeah. But there's a, yeah, I mean, there's a scene everywhere. I mean, you can go to Little Rock, Arkansas, there's a comedy scene. And- yeah, it's so weird because when I started, I was a dishwasher at a comedy club on Long Island, Eastside Comedy Club. Oh, my God. I've played the Eastside Comedy Club. Really? Yeah. It must have been early in your career. It's been gone. Very clean dishes there. <laughs> <laughs> nice work. Thank you. Uh, and so when I was a kid, I mean, that was one of the first road gigs was that richie minervini richie minervini yeah, yeah. and and um uh, rick messina uh-huh there was um you know jeff sussman the manager he was the the bartender there when i was a kid and uh and now uh he's a big you know manager uh but there weren't road gigs like in the beginning a lot of the road gigs were like they would set up a mic at a ground round restaurant uh-huh. or something yeah and then there was a couple of clubs that weren't the improv or catch rising star and Eastside comedy club was one of them but there was nothing around the country and then when i f- was doing comedy in the late 80s was when the boom happened yeah where there was comedy everywhere and then it dipped yeah, it and had to dip, back. I think, at some point. Cause it, I mean, I was started in Florida in yeah. 87, and it was just, you could just work for months if you wanted to, just in Florida. I mean, I knew guys that just lived in their car. Yeah. And they didn't have apartments. They would just drive around 52 weeks a year. Yeah, but you know that, yeah, but that is pretty, if you think about it, if you think about most jobs that you could have, and this guy's like, well, I, I just travel, I tell jokes, yeah. and I, you know, it's, it's actually pretty... It's a romantic life. Yeah, it is pretty romantic, <laughs> and you are actually getting paid, and you are telling jokes, even though no one knows who you are. But um, what's the most weeks of road work you did in a year? I don't. I feel like this year has been the most because really? I'm kind of writing a book about mm-hmm. it, and uh, so I'm sort of piling on the shows a little more. Mm-hmm. But maybe four or five months. But I mean, yeah. I feel like I'm on the road a lot because I go in and out of town. But actually, I'm probably in New York more than I'm not in New York. But and do you still like it? I like, uh, well, now I, I like it because I'm getting, you know, my group of people to show up in pretty much anywhere I go. And, yeah. you know, it's not like thousands of people, but. But they're all there to see. Yeah, you. and they're they're very appreciative yeah. and they're sweet. And, uh, and you know, you can make some okay money. And, yeah. But, you know, it gets a little dizzying when you're like, you go home and you're like, look, you're like, should I even buy groceries? Because I'm going to be. <laughs> What's the eggs gonna go? Yeah, bad? it's like, what's the point? What do I do? Do I move this bag out of the, you know, the, my yeah. suitcase out of the middle of the floor? But, what about um, those guys like Dangerville who do that till they're eighty three years old? Yeah, I mean, like, I think Rickles is still out there. I yeah, mean, I mean, yeah, I, I do. I mean, that's sort of inspirational because I feel like because when I see Rickles, especially, I go, oh man, he's still got it. Like he's still, yeah. he's clearly a lot older. You know, he still yeah. seems like an older man, but he's super yeah. funny still. Do uh, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Because now it is like the generation of comedians that we grew up with, like the Richard Lewis's, uh-huh. like that era. And they're all in their 60s or some of them in their early 70s. Yeah. Like what will happen to like this generation? Like how many years will they want to do this? Will we see Hannibal and Louie at 70? You know, doing these these shows. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that is a good question because you feel like some people are just gonna be like, "Enough is enough," <laughs> and I don't want to keep you getting on planes. You have to say that at some point, right? But yeah, but then there, but then there's people like I'm sure like Tom Jones probably still yeah. tours and he's probably well in his seventies, I guess. Sure. So you wonder what if they? I always wonder if it's still thrilling. If it's like if you're yeah. if you've done like eighty thousand shows, mm-hmm. if you're like. All right, now let's go do this. Or if you're like, like oh, a good. magician, yeah, or do you get pumped and you know high five and your drummer or something? Yeah. But I don't we know. We saw Dangerfield right near the end. Uh huh. Um, we went to Vegas, and uh, and he was unbelievably funny. Yeah, eighty three. 
He was like ripping it, killing it. Yeah, he was a he was a monster. Like he just had just one joke after the other. It was great. Yeah, I was listening to the old Dangerfield records uh-huh. where he talks way slower. Oh he yeah, talks at this pace, and it's insanely funny for different reasons. The bits are it's just written differently. Oh, I didn't even realize that, oh, he, they're great. that his style changed. Well, yeah, I get... he just started pacing it up and made the jokes got shorter and shorter and shorter. But he used to have you know longer routines. Yeah, it's I a lot of the people like Carlin. I guess was a. I mean, Dennis Miller was a prop comic. Yeah, exactly. You don't see a lot of comics now. I don't. I don't think. I can't think of a lot who've made like a transformation. That started as prop. Where they were like then... clean cut, and then they did like a Carlin, and then suddenly they were. That's a good question. Yeah, because I remember with Jim Carrey, when I started out, he just dropped the impressions. Uh-huh. So he started as an impressionist, and then he said, I just want to be a comedian. I don't want to be the impressionist guy. And then he started from scratch again and then wrote this amazing act that was really physical and really and really imaginative, but he had just dropped it, said, I don't want to be that guy. Right. So when you started doing stand-up, did you, I mean, the first time, were you? was it just to do stand-up? Or were you like, this can help me other ways? Or you just were curious? Or I think like anybody, in, my back, in the back of my head, I thought, I think I'm going to be the next Eddie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was really the dream that you couldn't say out loud. Like, I'll become a comedian, then am I going to become a movie star? Like, it was the era of Saturday Night Live and Steve Martin and... There weren't many careers to look up to. Mm-hmm. There were a few mega stars. So there was this, the pure stand-ups like Leno and Seinfeld. And that was before Seinfeld was a sitcom star. And then there were these mega stars like Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin. So I just wanted to do stand-up. I had no interest in writing. I had no interest in directing. I didn't watch movies to learn anything about any of it. And then maybe secretly I thought, I wonder if I'm going to be able to act. And... Then, you know, it would just morph into something else. So I wrote jokes for people because I just needed money. And and I thought, how am I going to pay my bills? I was always very good about paying my bills. Yeah. And I noticed early, oh, no one wants to write jokes for other people. But if you're willing to, there's a ton of money out there because everyone will buy jokes. Not everyone, but a lot of people would buy jokes. And uh, that got me into writing. Because then people would get an HBO special or a pilot and they'd say, hey, you want to help out on that? And then I just kept – and the money was so much better. Because mm-hmm. if I went on the road, I might make $400 to go to Dallas <laughs> something. And so just to sell a joke, for, one joke for 50 bucks. Yeah, it's it a just, better hit from your house. Yeah. And so that just overtook it. But it was not the intention at all. So you sort of eased into it, fell yeah. into it. I fell into it. And I've talked about this a lot, but I worked with a lot of – amazing comedians and i just had this instinct i'm just not as good as these guys uh-huh. and it, w- it, w- it would be like if you were a band like the alarm and you thought you were great and then you opened up for you too and they played sunday bloody sunday and you thought i don't I'm not sure how good i am <laughs> and then but i was getting so much good feedback on writing that i just said i, I think the universe is telling me to pursue this but de- in the back of my head I, I, I guess for a while I was very burnt out on stand-up comedy because I was so into it. And then after a while, I, I started thinking, why did I stop doing that? Like, that was fun. Everything else is so much pressure. But stand-up is like, it's just, you know, it just kind of, it's purely enjoyable uh, under many circumstances. <laughs> I mean, if you're on the road and you're traveling, but some shows are, you know, like I, I generally don't headline that much. I'm just uh-huh. doing spots. Which is really fun. I, 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 the times I've headlined, I've realized, oh, this is like a physical feat. It's tiring to stand up there for an hour, and about thirty minutes in, you're kind of energetically run out of gas, and you have to physically push yourself to do it. Uh, don't you think? Like, yeah, I sometimes, uh, I, I don't know if it's possible to write a set that doesn't have a lull in it. You know, where, yeah. you always hit that point. You're like. <laughs> This, it's always, but then sometimes you're like, well, it's always during this joke that I have the lull, so maybe <laughs> I, mean, I think I know the problem. It's yeah. not the lull. It's there's a reason for the lull. It's because yeah. they. But it's hard. Yeah, it's hard when you go. Oh, I have to kick it into gear now. I mean, it is very different to do 15 minutes 
and the stakes are couldn't be lower. You could try things, you could goof around, but when people have paid money and they're they're there to see you, it, it, the pressure is different. I heard Louis talking about it one day. There's, I think it was when I was talking to him about the for my book, Sick in the Head, uh, that book of interviews I did, and. I said, is it all easier when you do theaters? And he's like, no, because people pay all this money to go, then you just feel so much pressure to have it be worthwhile for them. Yeah, he's so relaxed, though. Like, I, I don't know. I, I probably look fine when I'm on stage, but when I play those big places, I'm yeah. like, I'm a bit of a mess. but Not a mess, but yeah. I definitely feel it inside. But he kind of just saunters out there. I mean, maybe internally he's freaking yeah. out, but he doesn't see it doesn't show. What's the biggest place you've played? I did with Louie. Well, I did with Louie. I did Madison Square Garden. Wow. Now, was that a personal uh dream or did it mean anything to you to do Madison Square Garden? <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, it's fun to. I mean, I've been lucky enough usually as an opening act to play like I mean, I did the Sydney Opera House wow. with Sarah. I'd done Carnegie Hall twice and I've I've uh yeah, I've done some nice you know, Beacon Theater I did with mm-hmm. Stephen Wright years ago yeah. and Town Hall a bunch of times. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was not something I ever thought, like, I'll probably be, you know, I'll probably be playing uh, Madison Square Garden at some <laughs> point. You know, it's going to happen. But, yeah, and then I heard Louie got those shows, and I'd open for him a bunch, and I was just, I didn't want to be like, hey, you need anyone for Madison Square Garden? <laughs> but you did. <clears throat> no, I waited for him to ask me. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. You knew you were high on that list to be asked. I just, um, you know, as you do this a while you try i try to be less annoying and pushy yeah. i'm very much i'm much more sensitive about yeah. that than i think i maybe yeah. used to be but yeah but i mean i've also known him a long time so i could have con- i just didn't want to be like hey can you want to use me for mass and he's like oh yeah, you know oh yeah let me uh you know i just wanted him to come to that idea yeah, yeah but it was um yeah i mean it went it went pretty well and i what's it feel like playing 13 14 it's interesting because i did it and um it just it felt like oh my god they're great they're great on i mean the first louis was like they're probably not gonna laugh at your first joke or whatever and i was like yeah it's not my first rodeo louis (laughs) i don't think i'd be killing from the minute but i uh and he was right and then it just kind of builds and i just kept going and i i kept it pretty tight i didn't meander and kind of do it like i might at the cellar where i get a little distracted or something Mm -hmm. but um yeah, it was it was it was good and but I I remember the next day and I've told this a bunch of times but I'll tell it anyway. I did a show at a a comedy club here and it was like thir- most of the audience was like special ed teachers who were t- out on the town and they were drunk and they were yelling and it's just like literally the next day I was like I just did 14,000 people and it was really no problems and and here I'm like have to I have to police this room. It's yeah. crazy. With people who should know better about Right. Well, teachers are Quite often, uh, they, I love teachers. God bless go, them, but they sometimes don't necessarily. Uh, they give it all to they, the children, right? <laughs> all their patience. All day long, the they children. go be quiet, and then <laughs> they put them in a group, and they they're maniacs. But what's your biggest yeah. audience? I opened up for Adam Sandler a long time ago at the University of Illinois at Champaign in a basketball arena, uh-huh. and I think it was about ten thousand people. And it was it was great. It was mm-hmm. really really fun. I actually don't think I had done stand up in a while, and I just did it as a goof. Right. And the crowd was great. I did, one thing I realized is, oh, you just ignore all individuals. You can't talk to an individual when there's ten thousand people there. So no matter how much noise or screaming or one person yelling, you're just playing to a mass. It's like they're a one organism. It's like when a theater is dark and you can only see five rows. And it doesn't matter if there's like a thousand people behind those people or thirty thousand. You're just playing into the darkness. Yeah, I, I mean, I I always like to have it lit as much as possible. I don't yeah. know. Um, Louis likes it pitch black. I like I I feel like dizzy and disconnected if I yeah, yeah. like I don't even like I'm. Are there, is there an audience out there? But I like to see him because you just even if you just see someone smiling, mm-hmm. you can focus on them. Yeah. And um, what do I tell the Carnegie Hall people about the lighting? Oh yeah. What do I say? Tell him what you like. I like a little a little light. Give me the Todd Berry special. <laughs> and they'll go, we remember, he was a pain in the ass. We don't know. Although I have a lot of friends going, some family going, and so I was trying to figure out where to seat people based on who's going to distract me. Like, Oh, my- yeah, that's the worst. I mean, I've shown up 
at on the road and there's like you walk on stage and there's someone you knew from college sitting in the front and you're like this show's ruined i mean i'm i'm gonna get through it no one will know that there's but for me it's ruined yeah but that's my concern though i have my best friends from high school coming ronnie and kevin and i feel like i could look at them yeah and i'll make them laugh and uh and pete holmes will be there and he's a big laugher so that should be good but i don't know if i want to look at my dad the whole time yeah put him uh like let's go 15 rows back yeah back in the corner <laughs> a little bit put a tall guy in front of him <laughs> yeah i mean it, it carnegie hall is not one of those places if i recall where they you'd feel like they're like have you ever done town hall uh no town hall they're like it's it's great because they they're right there in front of you there's a little distance if i remember between uh so they'll, everyone will seem kind of a little bit farther back. Yeah, good. But uh, <laughs> I can make him wear a mask. But it is good to know what you're up against, like you were talking about, because I did a couple of those oddball shows, mm -hmm. and uh, I kind of knew, all right, I'm going to go on first. I can't, you know, be distracted by some guy who's throwing a beach ball or whatever. <laughs> it's just like, or, Are those fun? Those or ordering a shows? pretzel or whatever they do. It. They were fun. I mean, I had to go on first. And, um, and it's like 11 in the morning? Yeah, I don't mind. Actually, it's kind of cool to look out and see 10,000 people, you know. It was like 7 at night, maybe, 7.30. But but they're a little getting a little settled. But you just yeah. – I always figure, you know, there's – because I once did a show with Ricky Gervais at mm -hmm. the – what is The theater at Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. And he's very – you know, I, I, I'm probably teased him about this, but he's very like, start the show at 8 o'clock. It's like, well – there's 9,000 people in the lobby. <laughs> Why don't you, can you, if you wait five minutes, there'll be another 2,000 people in the place. Yeah. But he wants to get it going. And then, so then I have to walk out to like this half full. But then I just go, you know what? There's still 2,000 people here, yes. which is way more than I usually play for. So. Well, that's the best thing about a big crowd is if there's 2,000 people there, if 400 are laughing, yeah. it's kind of loud. But in the club, if there's 40 people and five are laughing, yeah, then it's, it's just good. like, why? <laughs> like, are those your friends in the back? Yes. My whole thing is I'm trying to figure out if I should drink before Carnegie Hall, <laughs> if I should be very sharp or just on a beer and a shot. Do you, I mean, generally, do you? I usually will have like a beer and a shot. Oh, really? For a long set. Oh, well, then. It just loosens the brain up. I can't do that, so I, yeah. I would say no for myself, but uh, yeah. there clearly are comics who can do it. Yeah. Um, That'll just, not just Doug loosen Stanhope. me up. <laughs> just like, that's not that much a beer and a shot. Uh, is it? No, it depends on your personal. Am I an alcoholic? No, I don't think so. That's, that's what this. This is not really a podcast. This is a, it's an, an intervention, intervention with just me. It's the worst intervention you've ever uh, seen. Exactly. What do you think of this era at the cellar versus other eras at the cellar? Um, at the comedy cellar. Wow. I don't know. I mean, I uh... for your own personal enjoyment. I mean, it's gone through a number of phases. The comedy cellar. There was a t when I first moved here. It was one continuous show. It wasn't like multiple shows yeah. in one night. So it was show started at, I think, 9, and the last spot was, if I recall, one fifteen a.m. Yeah. So it was a very transient club. Like, people would come for an hour or two and leave, yeah. and then more people. But So that's changed. And um, But it's, I think, just partially because of Louie and, and the reputation of the club, it's just it's always crowded now. It's packed. Yeah, I mean, every, every show. you know, third show on Wednesday is, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> It's crazy, but, but there's something nice about the half-filled room with weirdos. I uh, yeah, I mean, Kindler had this line where, he, where I've quoted before. He says he, he goes, "Give me a nice half-filled room." And I, when I used to go on the road, especially when I was a little scared because I would go to a new place. I'd, if they would be like, "Yeah, we got 40 people," and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> sweet." But then you get a little bit of a name, then you're like, you feel like, why is there only 40 people here? Exactly. <laughs> and then there's the other thing where. They'll be like, hey, there's only 50 people here on a Tuesday. And then when the waitress goes, there's usually only 20 people here on a Tuesday. So it's like, okay, double your audience. But, of course, they'll tell your agent that uh, you only have 50 people on a Tuesday. <laughs> the worst is when you show up to things and no one's there. I, I had another book called I Found This Funny. And I didn't do a book tour, but I did a couple of bookstore events. But I bring my daughter to this uh, event at a bookstore, and I swear there's 12 people there in this enormous space. Yeah, It's 12 people. That's why I went on Twitter. I said, I can't allow this to ever happen again. I need a way to reach people because my daughter had a look in her eyes where she she said, Dad, I felt so bad for you. Like, I was so sad for you. Right. That makes it worse. That's like, she's like, Dad, aren't you, aren't you famous? Yeah. Where was this? Was it like Lighthouse Books? Oh, in L.A.? Yeah. Is that, is that the one? Like Jeffrey L.A., Tambor they got so owns? many choices that they probably just go, 
Book no one knew. No, I swear, someone wrote. must have put one flyer in the corner of a window, and that was the, the ad campaign. But it, it probably it probably cut down the number of unsolicited screenplays that would have been handed to well, you. Well, I, I only got 12. From <laughs> you the got 12, 12 people. 12 out of 12? <laughs> Do you ever get people who, like, um, get in your face because you, didn't, you didn't put them in their movie? Like, uh, In my face, no. I mean, sometimes you get, like, a passive-aggressive subtle innuendo but that's the weird thing is you know you only do so many projects and they're just specific types and so like there's certain people uh that i like but i kind of don't write those kind of parts mm -hmm. like also i'm such a jew that it's also leans a little neurotic jewy so people who are super not waspy but just they just their sense of humor or their style is different than how i express myself it doesn't fit you know like i've never you know written the great bill murray movie uh -huh. or, you know i i'm in a, a certain there's uh, a tone that you have there's a tone i don't even know i'm doing it and so a lot of my heroes who i wish i could write for i can't think like in their comedic style you know i'm i'm in whatever this thing is it's kind of right. how i write jokes so that's why I wasn't in Trainwreck? Is that what you're saying? I'm joking. We tried to get you. You were not available. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> no, no, no. But you're one of my favorites. No, I was not at all. Because people have asked me, you know, they can make a movie without me. Yeah. <laughs> I never feel like, acting especially, I never I never feel like yeah. they, they fucked up by not giving me that point. So yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. I you're a very, very good actor. I'm, I don't and know. And you pop as an actor. Do I? As a screen presence. In Wanderlust, you pop. That's true. I wasn't. You did put me in Wanderlust. Yeah. That was fun. No, but I think you're like a very strong. I love the Louis episode. Uh-huh. The, uh, the the road one. Yeah, people. Uh, people. Yeah, that was a long one. Yeah, it's a great one. It was a long little chunk you gave me. Did uh, Did you get a lot of feedback on that? I did. I did. And uh, yeah, some people were like, is, is that true? Is that, is, all, is that based on truth? Yeah. Like, I guess somewhat, but <laughs> it's not like I live above a restaurant where I get a free donut because if that do, one waitress is working. Do you pursue acting, or it's just like um, if it happens, it happens type of thing? I I do. I find that I um I pro it feels like auditions these days. Um, I get a lot of these like these emails. You have an appointment. Get yourself on tape by Tuesday. Nineteen pages. Like, and I go. <laughs> And I'm like in I'm in a hotel room in Tulsa, and I'm like, yeah, it's just stuff. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little yes, bit, but they, no, they do that where they like give you too many. It's like, what did they read? just decide today they're making a movie? Like, what don't they plan this shit? And and like sometimes I'll just have to go. You know, I don't want to embarrass myself by yeah. reading in the, into my laptop in a hotel room, and like, there's no way I'm gonna get this part. Yeah, but what's uh, the best parts you've had? Um, I mean, I love I, I like being the wrestler because it was not. Um, yeah, that was great. It was it was insane to be in a movie with Mickey Rourke and yeah those scenes are really good and the you know we did stuff it was really funny when I saw the wrestler because in Funny People we had uh, uh, Rizzo and Seth working in a supermarket uh -huh. and they were at the deli counter and then I saw the wrestler which I think came out maybe just before Funny People came out but Funny People is done. And I just thought, God damn, they did the deli counter so good. <laughs> I can't. We we didn't beat their deli counter. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty nuts. Too. That was really really. Funny. We filmed that in a deli. I mean, that was in a supermarket in Bayonne, New Jersey. Yeah. And the, they didn't even close the supermarket. Yeah. Like it was a functioning open supermarket. Yeah. Supermarket. So I'm sure there were a few you know surprised people when Mickey Rourke ran through the cereal aisle and <laughs> fucking leveled it. But <laughs> and, and that was a Darren Aronofsky, the great. Yeah. And how does he work? He works. Was it loose? Was it improvisational? Yeah, they, there was. He is pretty um like that, especially that chaotic scene where shit's getting thrown and Mickey Rourke threw stuff at me, and yes. I didn't know he was going to throw stuff at me. There was a thing where something hit me, and we had to kind of take a little break and go, just let me know if I'm going to get shit thrown at me. <laughs> what hit you and where? He hit me with um, it may have been like a. I feel like it was a ham or something. <laughs> or a, that could hurt you. It was a ham, ham, and then he think he threw a box of like foil or something. It was just well, that could. That it, was, could it was like you know, yeah. I'll take one for the team, but I'm not going to get a corner of a, a tinfoil yeah. box. Could uh, you could lose an eye? Right. But he. But I remember like saying something like, "Do I need to stick to the script?" He goes, "He goes, don't censor yourself," which I oh, like. It was great. like, "Okay, are you pretty?" Uh, I'm very loose. Are you loose? Yeah. I always feel like 
maybe to my detriment, I always feel like the actor can top the line I thought of. I, I just feel like if you have, uh, and even the people who write it, even like Amy Schumer, you know, she's an amazing writer. The script was really great, but you also know on the day I want her to to play, and some of the best lines in that movie are just things that she thought of in the moment because, uh, you know, she's you know a great thinker, and you know most. Uh, and most actors can, can top a lot of what's in the script. When people never change a word, I, some people could do that. The Cohen brothers, like no one's changing a syllable, right? Um, and and you know they're I think one of the few people that can do that and also be riotously funny. But the confidence it takes to do that, I do not have. You know, if I'm shooting uh, Seth and Riza talking at a supermarket, I'm going to shoot like four hours of footage of them <laughs> improvising and playing and. And that's how I like to do it. Yeah, that's always, for me, the most fun whenever I'm acting, where they go, all right, we'll do it sort of the script a few yeah. times and then... And just do it. And then just have fun with it. I always like the have fun with it phase of the... Uh, yeah. Because I always feel like it's I'm, I, it elevates my acting. I guess an example of it would be in, in uh, Trainwreck. I'm pretty sure this wasn't in the script. It was an improvisation of Amy's. There's a moment where Brie Larson's son says, can I kiss the baby in your belly? And she kisses Bree's stomach and then smiles and walks away. And Amy just goes, no. <laughs> and it kills. And those kind of moments where you have an inspiration to do something very simple and perfect yeah. are hard to think of at night in your underwear. Like some of, some of A certain type of behavior is, is very also, hard to write. Right, and also when you're... You know, she's a stand-up, so she's not. I don't. I don't know how she writes her jokes, but I mean, she's probably not writing them out scripted completely. Like every, comics tend to work shit out on stage, yeah. so that's probably the same type of deal. Well, she's like a rare person who can do both. Yeah, but it would be insane not to take those runs with her. I I always say, you know, when Seth Rogen finds out Catherine Heigl is pregnant and knocked up. We wrote a zillion reactions. Like, what would you say when a woman says, I'm pregnant? And Seth improvised one day, fuck off. And the, the, it would murder. But <laughs> I would never think of that at home. I'm pregnant, fuck off. Like, I just, it wouldn't be the reaction. I think the written joke was, uh, which might have come from an improv of Seth's, I'm pregnant with emotion. <laughs> and, and that was a good line but again maybe feels a little written uh, so that's always fun do you do a lot of takes um, I don't do an enormous amount of takes but each take is really long oh yeah so the take might be 10 minutes I might start the scene three times within the take um, but but not a crazy amount of takes but I'm getting a crazy amount of material uh -huh. you know, when we do it so you're not out uh... David Fincher. Is it David Fincher? David Fincher. Like, yeah, I'm not one of those people doing like 60 takes. I heard he does a minimum of 40 for every. Yeah, I guess. I guess. How does he make, how does he like, it must take like 10 years to make each movie. though. Well, sometimes, I mean, like, you can see it in the social network, it's such rapid fire dialogue. Yeah. It's probably very hard to get the rhythm right. And so the more you do it, you know, the more it, it, you might be finding that rhythm. But, you know, sometimes, you know, with comedy, Someone just hits it out of the gate and take one, and you're, you're like, wow, that was funny. I didn't see that coming. I guess we'll do a couple more just to protect ourselves, to, just in case we're crazy and this isn't uh -huh. funny. And that's the weird thing is on set, sometimes things seem hilarious, and you get into editing, and you're like, oh, that's so broad, and, and he's mugging, and it's sweaty and weird. So the strange part about comedy is uh, – the things that you think are funny on set, you know, half the time are not funny when you cut them into the movie. That's why I tend to get a lot of variations. Oh, that's interesting. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish he, I wish this was subtler, or I wish that we got a hard joke right here. Like I know this is the moment in the scene right here where I wish there was like a sharp killer line. Sometimes if we can't think of it, we'll put it on the back of their head. We'll just write one. Have someone record the audio in ADR. Oh, just put the the great punchline on the on the back of their head. Oh, that's a good idea. When we're looking at the other character, and uh, and that's something like I heard that James Brooks was really pushing Wes Anderson to do on Bottle Rocket. And if you watch the movie, there's a lot of jokes. Uh -huh. You don't see the person's mouth; you're on the back of their head. 
And I thought, oh, yeah, that's smart. You should just be really tough on things. There was a funny one with Seth Rogen in, in This Is 40 when he walks into the Air China Lounge. And it's weird that he's there. There's no reason for him to be there. Uh-huh. And he sees Leslie talking to Eric Bana. And they're like, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, I thought this was Panda Express. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but that was an ADR joke. It was something we recorded afterwards. But the scene was not working. And then suddenly that joke got such a big laugh that it suddenly the whole scene worked because in the rhythm of it, it had to have a big laugh at that moment. Yeah, I mean, that's another th- parallel with stand-up. Sometimes you just cut three words out and you're like, oh, my God, this thing... Now it works. And yeah. Are you, but do you have it worked out that way where at some point it all gets super concise? I mean, I, it seems like my best stuff ends up getting pretty tight. Yeah. As the Onion said, that tightly wound. <laughs> or the AV Club, one of those uh, one of those people. That's how they described you. It was, yeah, Joe, wound. like something like tightly wound, like a mandolin. It was a compliment. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, so that was it was nice. But I, I mean, I try to do... I like to have my jokes be tight, but my show to be loose. Yes, I don't know where I stand in that yet, because I have a bad I have a bad memory, uh-huh. so it's very hard for me to lock things down because I actually can't remember them uh, in that way. So As I'm don't... talking, the whole time I'm thinking, I wonder if the right word is coming next. Yeah, it it is sometimes when you cut out of your body and go, I don't even what, what am I even talking about? I don't even know. <laughs> Did I? Oh, I just did that joke. Like I was, you're like thinking about what you're gonna have for dinner later or whatever. I heard that Leno, he that when he does shows in comedy clubs, he goes into the state where he's doing his act, and he's also counting how many people are in the room. Oh, for his, he's literally counting the amount of people in the room to see how much money he's making. No, just as like a weird, almost meditative experience. He he's counting. The people in the room and just running his act and fully committed to his act, not not half-assing it, just yeah. in full kick-ass mode. But he's also part of his brain is counting the people in the room. That's funny. That's weird. Yeah, I mean, I, that's something I've probably done if I have a, a door deal and I want to know how much I'm making. Like, <laughs> you're out there and you're like, yeah, there's no way. If they try to say there's under 200 people there, you're going to fucking think. How my... far split can you get your mind on set where you're not actually paying attention to <laughs> what you're saying as you're saying it? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I catch myself and I'm just like, oh, okay, you just... Like 10 minutes just You get just scared passed. to where you're just like... I mean, I sort of sometimes think of a little autopilot kind of makes for a good show because yeah. you really just... You kind of really deliver it. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to be a... Autopilot doesn't yeah. sound like something you'd want to see, really. <laughs> like when you're driving in your car and sometimes you go, oh my God, 15 minutes just passed. I don't know how we yeah. got here. Or these people who walk and... Or even the times where I've texted on the sidewalk and you're like, oh, I... Yeah. I really just risk my life right exactly. there. Exactly. And then I end up yelling at everyone who I see walking towards me texting. But uh, do you remember when – I think we first met – do you remember when we had a meeting at your old house in Los Angeles? Um, in uh, my old house in the Palisades? I don't know where it was. I'm trying to remember. What did we do? What did we do? I had some sort of uh, one of these holding deals. I had to get all show busy. But yeah. One of those deals where they give you money to uh, – not do anything basically <laughs> so in case you want to do something they have to do it with them so oh. I, I don't and know was what you're holding deal with like someone i had a deal with yeah 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 but i remember i just remember going there and i remember you had one of the few people i've seen who had a giant screen tv but it was when they were thick they were like, <laughs> they were like a foot and a half a really thick i'll tell you a funny thing because it's all coming back to me yeah i helped out as a consultant on the grinch uh-huh. I just sat in on a lot of meetings, and but I, I wasn't salaried to do it. I was just peripherally helping yeah. as a friend. And afterwards, they bought me, they gave me a TV as a thank you, which is very nice. Yeah. But back then, those TVs cost like $35,000. <laughs> it was right when the big flat screens. Yeah. Now it would be like an eight hundred dollar TV. Got a, right. But back then it was like this crazy thing. That's the one you saw. Like, oh my God, that's the the, the thin screen, which was still very thick. So I wonder where <laughs> it the, was plasma. It was made of real plasma. Right. There must be a graveyard for those. Uh... Oh, can you imagine if, if in the, in the world the amount of dumps and how high they are of just consumer electronics? 
Yeah, I remember trying to. I, that's another thing I had to dump on to Goodwill was a, a, a real TV that I had. And yeah, just kind of they're like, nah, we don't even want this. <laughs> like, we're, and they were not even going to put this in like a you know a youth shelter or something. <laughs> they'll tell they'll tell you to fuck off. We're not going to give this to an ill person. Nothing. But um, I feel like you have to go. I have about five minutes, so my dad uh, might come early. Really? We could end hot a, a final five. Yeah, That's, that goes hot. Let's bring it home. <laughs> let me let me just look at my notes real quick. Uh, I don't I don't need. What's to the it. one thing you've always wanted to know about me? Um, oh well, this is not this is not necessarily it. But do you? I always curious. Do you work alone? Like, will you ever go write, sit in the coffee shop by yourself and write something, or do you? Or do you work in like an office I setting? I have trouble writing with people around. I'm very, I guess I'm very easily distracted. Uh-huh. So I wish I was the coffeehouse guy. I have a dream of that. Like, and then I sat in the coffeehouse and, and, and I cannot think of one thing in that setting. I, I tend to, uh, I tend to, here's the problem. I tend to write best from 10 at night till two in the morning. But as soon as I had kids, I can't do it because I got to wake up at six thirty. Right, and it's kind of ruined my writing career in a lot of ways because I really—that's <laughs> my zone—and it's very hard to do it in the morning because the phone's always ringing and people have questions. Uh, or I could write if I leave, like if I leave town and check into a hotel and just sit in the hotel. Do you and ever I do could, that? Or? I have done it to finish movies. I went to Hawaii and I wrote like half of This Is Forty over like five days. Just by yourself, just by myself. But, but I do have problems now. I'm having problems sitting and writing. I, I'm. This is, sounds weird, but I'm sick of looking at a computer. Like I don't like the screen. I don't like the typing. Yeah. I'm having a mental uh, rejection of the visual of typeface, and so I've been trying to write with pads more. But I, I just get bored of the mechanics of all of it. It's it's a strange thing. I don't like, have I good disappear. handwriting anymore. Like my handwriting's gotten, I think, worse since. Yeah, me too. Like you can't read it. Yeah, I can't. That's so why I can't hand it off to anyone to type up after because it's unreadable. Yeah. So that's a weird block because I have done writing where someone types and I just pace and say it out loud. Uh, but that's difficult too because you you need uh, you, the people that I did it with um, Brendan O'Brien and and. Uh, Andrew Cohen, uh, they worked for me on uh, Funny People, uh, but now they wrote, you know, they wrote Neighbors, <laughs> so they, their career took off. But they were really fun to have right. in the room typing with, and um, so I can't figure out how to do it. I'm not sure. It's a it's a weird thing. It's I think it's connected to attention deficit, hoarding, and maybe so you're, early you have a hoarding dementia thing? or major hoarding. I, I have a I think I have a slightly diagnosable, but not like. Not TV yeah. worthy <laughs> level of home. But you do eat toilet paper. Yeah, I mean, I don't have like a pizza box in my yeah. bathroom or anything, yeah. but I do. I can't get rid of stuff. I have a big problem with it. This is a very neat apartment, though. Well, that's because we're never here. It's because you're never here. And I would get in trouble if I hoard it up. But no, I save every. I save everything. I have every little weird thing from everything I've ever done. I have storage facilities. I'm a hoarder who can afford nice storage facilities. I have a couple. Of, I got a couple going <laughs> myself. You know, it's kind of got all my flyers. I, but now I have so much stuff that it's not even fun to have because you can't find anything. Right, and you're never gonna. There's things that you save that you will never ever look at. Yeah, and I have dreams of it. Like, I can't wait to go look at all my stuff from college. And I think about it, like, that'd be fun to go yeah. relive that. Or like go through your first laptop, like, oh, that, yeah. that email <laughs> I, with, my, with that woman who I was going out with, with those great emails. And you're like, you can yeah. go into your own AOL account. and I've done that when so, like, someone I know dies, like an older comedy figure who died that I had a friendship with. And I'll search every email we ever uh-huh. had. And just like read like the relationship. Oh wow! And it's intense, and I like it. Like oh, I'm glad it's there, but uh, I also think that's why my movies are long. I feel like it's a form of hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> you can't throw away scenes. Exactly. And I'm buying a lot of books lately. Like it's really revved up. Where almost any book that looks halfway interesting, I buy. Do you uh, Kindle or do you get the actual? I get the books, and yeah. then I read nothing. I oh read, really? And I read nothing. I, I buy hundreds of books a year. <laughs> and read zero and read pretty much like four and they're all self-help books but i'll buy all the literature i'll buy all the nonfiction, the fiction but i'm really only reading uh you know 
you know, uh, do I have to give up me to be loved by you? Oh, wow. It's heavy shit. Well, Judd. We ended hot, I think. We did with a, <laughs> with a little self-help book courting. That's right. Uh, good luck. Are you excited about uh, tomorrow? You don't I, seem nervous at all. I'm, uh, I have a low buzz of nervousness. Are you going to get there way early? I'm going to get there, I guess, two hours before, do a little, do a little sound check, and uh, pray for me. Good, Just pray good, for me. Good uh, dressing rooms there, as you would imagine. I'm excited to know that I'm going to shit where Yasha Heifetz did <laughs> at some point. <laughs> no, that wasn't the high point I was looking for. But <laughs> Thanks for being here. Right, thanks, oh, I mean, sir. I'm in your apartment, so thank you for thank having you me. Thank you for being here. And you guys at home, thanks for listening. We'll see you uh, next week. Feral Audio. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's... A burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.